This episode is brought to you by Kensington Books and Love at First by Kate Claiborne. Love at First is a quirky, smart, and tender romantic comedy full of bickering neighbors, surprise reunions, and second chance romance. It's been called the comforting Romeo and Juliet rewrite you didn't know you needed. Seriously, I've heard nothing but raves about this book, and if you want funny books with all the feelings, Kate Claiborne is the author for you. I have loved everything Kate Claiborne has written and can't wait to read this one. Love at First is available at kensingtonbooks.com or wherever books are sold. It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast. Hello, you're listening to the Mermaid Podcast, and I'm your host, Laura Von Holt, the fairy boss mother. Hi, mer friends. First, some good news. I know a lot of you really enjoyed listening to our Mermaid episodes where I wrote original stories inspired by Mermaid artwork. So I gathered those stories into a little ebook that you can read, not just listen to, you can also read it. And all you have to do to get it is join our email list and then we'll send you a link so you can download a copy to read on your favorite e-reader or your phone or tablet. I will drop a link to our email list in the show notes and you can also find a link to join in our show notes at mermaidpodcast.com under the section that says tail mail. I hope you enjoy reading them. It's a beautiful little collection. So just want to make sure you know about that. Now, today's episode is all about sea shanties. You may have seen sea shanties going viral on TikTok and other social media. So we tracked down a sea shanty expert, Revel Carr, who is a professor of ethnomusicology, and he's going to give us some background on sea shanties. We will hear the history of how they came to be and why sea shanties resonate now. Revel Carr is the author of the book Hawaiian Music in Motion, Mariners, Missionaries, and Minstrels. So we're also going to hear some bonus Hawaiian history and maritime history. You know I'm from Hawaii. You know I love that angle. Um, but most importantly, mer friends, Revel performs a famous sea ballad called The Mermaid. It was thrilling to get a sea shanty sung on the podcast just for us. I loved it. So stick around to the end of the episode to hear Revel sing The Mermaid. It'll be at about minute 47, right after a brief commercial break. Can't wait for you to hear it. And before we get into the interview, I would love for you to meet another podcast from the Frolic Podcast Network. Please meet First Cup of Coffee. Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee every morning on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I'm an award-winning author of fantasy and romantic fantasy, and I chat with you about what it's like to be a career author. I honestly share my daily challenges and triumphs in getting my novels written. I give insights into the business side of being a writer and reflect on leading a fulfilling and creative life. Sit down and have a cup of coffee with me. Yeah, hi, my name is Revel Carr. I'm uh, an associate professor of ethnomusicology uh, and the director of the John Jacob Niles Center for American Music at the University of Kentucky. That is a great introduction, thank you. Um, And I'm having you on the podcast today to talk about a trend. Well, it's a trend now, but it's it's something more. Um, but 
recently with everyone in their homes, um, the sea shanties have become a very popular thing. People are making videos about them, singing together, duetting all over the internet. Um, it seems to be like kind of resurgence of the sea shanty. And you seem like the perfect expert to explain to this audience what is a sea shanty? What qualifies as a sea shanty? And hopefully, do they have anything to do with mermaids? But don't worry, I'll ask those questions like separately. You don't have to answer it all at once. But why don't we start off with the basics? What is a sea shanty? Well, as you as you mentioned, I've been getting asked that question a lot lately. Um, but yeah, so a sea shanty is technically is a work song. So sea shanties were only the songs that were sung by sailors, primarily uh, American and European sailors in the 19th century. Um, and they were only sung during work. And these are songs that were specifically designed to go along with specific jobs on the ship. So there were certain types of sea shanties that were called halyard shanties that were used to pull up a sail. Uh, there were other types of shanties called capstan shanties that were used when you were um, heaving around a capstan, which is like a big winch, uh, to do a job like hauling in the anchor, you know. Uh, and so, uh, and there were really short little shanties that were called short drags or call sing outs um, or bunting shanties. They're really only like a couple of lines long. Um, and they, but the, the common theme with sea shanties is that they were used to facilitate work by sailors on board a ship. So there were specific songs for specific jobs and that's exactly. when you would sing them. And is it because they have, I'm guessing there's a rhythm? Yes, okay. so there's a specific kind of rhythm and there's also a particular kind of effort that you need to do with certain jobs. So for example, with, with hauling up a sail, um, typically you'd use what's called a hauling shanty and a hauling shanty usually is for jobs that require a short burst of effort, right? So you pull and then you pull and then you might wait a minute and then you pull and you pull again, you know? Um, so a hauling shanty has these kind of accents that give you that beat that you pull on. Um, a heaving shanty is, is another kind of thing because heaving was a job where you were just like applying constant effort on the job, right? So like pushing something, right? And so that would be just meant to keep a steady pace with your feet as you're, as you're kind of marching around pushing something. So, um, and so that was like a continual effort as opposed to a periodic effort. And so they just had a different you know, different accents, different rhythms to kind of fit the different job. Okay. Um, so yeah. there's a bunch of sailors working together on a ship and they need something to like help them with their work. I imagine there's also like a, an uplifting, like, like keep your spirits up kind of, of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. And the community building is that. Of course. Yeah. No, yeah, all okay. of that. Um, so they, they were, um, they were like meant to facilitate the work and make the work easier by kind of getting everyone to do this effort at the same time. And if you want to, if you ever want to see the effectiveness of a sea shanty, 
Um, the next time you're doing tug of war at a, at a picnic, like if, when, whenever we get back to having like (laughs) picnics, uh, if you're doing tug of war, try singing a sea shanty and doing a, like a hard pull on the, and you, I guarantee you'll win the tug of war. Uh, cause it's, uh, you know, it just makes the work easier and everyone's pulling right at the same time. And, um, it, it makes it a lot easier, but also, yes, the, the whole aspect of making the work more enjoyable, taking the sailor's mind off of the tedious work that they're doing, um, giving them a laugh, you know, uh, the, one of the, one of the talents of a good shanty singer would be to kind of improvise humorous lyrics oh. as they're, <clears throat> as they're singing. Oftentimes they would be like sort of picking out members of the crew or like the captain uh-huh. and, and saying something about, you know, something funny about them, yeah. you know, making fun of the captain's beard or making fun of how someone wears their boots or, uh-huh. you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Just uh, just kind of coming up with spontaneous jokes to to kind of make the work more, you know, more fun. Yeah. And then also, right, the community building, like through that kind of humor and kind of camaraderie, you know, you're building bonds between the, the crew members. Um, but that also leads me to the other thing, which is that Sailors had a lot of other songs that they used to sing at sea that were not sea shanties. Oh, right? okay. So not every song you sing on a boat is a sea shanty. Exactly. That's a good right. point. Okay. Okay. So what else is there? Like, but, what's but this- like today in the modern sort of TikTok parlance, yeah. pretty much anything that is related to sailors or ships is called a sea shanty. Okay. You know? um, so it's become the sort of generic term for any kind of sailor song or sea song but yeah but traditionally there were songs that were really only reserved for doing work and then other songs that were you know for when they were like all gathered together in the crew's quarters and they were just like singing about home or singing about you know where they were going or some adventures that they had had or you know whatever um they, or, and a lot of times they would sing like their national anthems. Uh, their, you know, they might sing popular songs that were known, you know, at, at the time, um, or even make up their own songs. Uh-huh. So, like, and that was a whole different sort of genre called um, that were called forecastle songs or folksle songs. Okay. Because um, the folksle is the area of the ship where the crew lives. Okay. So they were called folksle songs. Um, or sometimes called four bitters, um, but th- that was a whole different sort of type of song, um, more for social social music. Okay, so now I have so many questions. Yeah. Um, I so is okay, so my first question is how, like when did the sea shanty become like official? Like how did it start? How did it start? How would people learn them? So, yeah, um, that is sort of the, one of the questions that's shrouded in the mists of time. Um, you know, there, there's evidence that there were sea songs and, and even work songs sung, you know, by uh, British and Irish sailors, maybe going back to the 1700s or the 1600s, uh, maybe going back earlier than that. Um, but, but then, and there's like minor, like, references in some literature from like the 1600s 
or maybe the late 1500s. But but then there's like a huge gap, like and no and there's no references to any sailors doing work songs until like the early 19th century, the early 1800s. And then you see just like an explosion okay. of sea shanties. So from what scholars can tell, there may have been preceding kind of traditions, but it really didn't become like what we know today until probably, you know, around the 1830s or so. Um, and our best guess as to how they started is that um, in Southern ports, like along the Gulf Coast, for example, New Orleans or Mobile, Alabama, um, or maybe in some Southern Atlantic ports like Savannah or Charleston, there were slaves who were loading cargo onto the ships. Um, and especially um, if they were, these were called stevedores, people who load up ships. And there was a job when you were loading cotton onto a ship um, that involved taking a giant screw and like turning this big screw to compress the cotton into the hold of the ship. And so the African-American dock workers who were doing that job had songs that they did that were called cotton screwing shanties. And so one of the best guesses is that cotton screwing shanties for compressing cotton into the hold of a ship were probably the first shanties that were sung, wow. you know, by sailors. And then, and so they were, it was an African-American kind of work song tradition. Uh -huh. And then it got, it kind of took on a life of its own with the sailors and they started applying them to different jobs. There were African-American sailors on a lot of ships, especially whaling ships. Uh -huh. So there was probably African-American um sailors who who started out leading shanties and then other people kind of picked up on it um and it kind of fused with other traditions um in fact one of the things i talk about in my book is one of the very earliest references of sea shanties um that's you know in literature is from a book by a guy named richard henry dana who wrote a book called two years before the mast and he was writing about off the coast of California near San Diego, hearing Hawaiian shantymen leading um, the crew in work songs, you know, off the coast of California. So you've got okay. Hawaiians on American ships off the coast of San Diego yeah. leading shanties in the sort of mid 1830s. So, um, wow, okay. Yes. So, so I, because I, I was wondering, like, it seems like, it makes sense that they also that the proliferation of sea shanties would coincide with like an expansion in like maritime industry and shipping and travel. Absolutely. Right. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and the expansion of maritime sailing technology. Mm. Like oh, okay. Getting, we're getting bigger. Uh, the, the, they were putting on more and more sails to uh, be able to go faster. They were developing more elaborate um, machinery for yeah. the ship. Um, there were, you know, th these things called the pump brake windlass, which operates like this, where you just pump this thing, like a seesaw kind of pump yeah, on both ends going like this. And so there were a lot of songs that kind of fit that rhythm, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just even the development of a new type of winch uh -huh. that sailors were using kind of 
precipitated coming up with a new song that would fit that, you know, that particular job. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So a lot of it had to do with the, the sailing technology. This is really interesting to me because I think it mirrors what's happening right now with sea shanties is that the expansion of a technology necessitates the expansion of creativity. And so with like a video app like TikTok, it's got a lot, it's got a lot of different, not different, but uh, more people are using the technology that it has with video editing and like duetting and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of why it's become uh, so popular. Yeah. That's so cool. You can't really duet a YouTube video. No, right? you can't. You can make a reaction one, but it's not the same. It's right, not the same feature. Right. So yeah. having that feature, you know, and as I, I said on a, on another podcast uh, that will remain nameless, but uh, <laughs> I, I said on that interview, like that, uh, you know, I think the 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 Weller man, the one that we all know now, uh-huh. um, that one didn't really take off with the duetting uh-huh. until this one guy with the really super low mm-hmm. bass voice. Mm-hmm added his part and then as soon as people started hearing that like that really super low bass and then the great like tenor scottish accented singer yeah like people were just like oh i I gotta get in on this like it just made it so much more exciting yeah um, to have the two parts together and so that that was another question i had is like do you have to be a good singer to sing a sea shanty or can you just join in absolutely not (laughs) okay great a good singer to sing a sea shanty maybe to lead a sea shanty you do need at least some sense of rhythm yeah uh and and a sense of time and a and a and and not and you know it, it helps to be able to hold a melody um but you know the the guys who sing the choruses on the sea shanty like they're just kind of grunting it out, you know. It doesn't really matter, um, as as we often say in sea shanties, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's like a, a sea shanty is like a, a lifeline thrown to a drowning man. It doesn't matter where you catch on, as long as you get it before it goes by, right? Yeah. So okay. as long as you jump in somewhere in the song, like you're good, you know. Um, um, and that, yeah, it's. Uh, um, yeah, and I think that's also part of why it's fun is because it's there's it's low pressure, low stakes. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter what your voice is like. Okay, uh, so my other question is: Is a sea shanty a drinking song, or can are they different? But can you drink to a sea shanty? <laughs> Well, <laughs> you can drink to anything. Opinion, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, drinking songs are not the same as as sea shanties. Okay. But the, a lot of other sea songs are drinking songs. Mm-hmm. And there are, of course, some shanties that are about drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, in fact, a lot of sea shanties are about <laughs> drinking. Um, but, but they're not necessarily to facilitate drinking. You know, uh, they're, they're more like, I wish I had a bottle of rum with me right now kind yeah. of songs, you know. Yeah. Um, or uh, there's a one of my favorite lines in a shanty is the, the captain likes whiskey and the mate likes rum. The sailors like both, but we can't get none. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean they're 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 often thinking about drinking, but not not necessarily doing it while they're singing the song. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I love this. So there's like a it's a gl- kind of a there's a kind of globalism to it, or like a, a blending of cultures. Like it's a bunch of men sure. traveling everywhere, different men coming from different places. They all learn somewhat of the same song to work together. No one really knows exactly where everything came from, but there's a hint of it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And okay. and uh and that's I mean that's really one of the points 
that I try to make in my book, which is that, yes, sailors, the, the, the sailing ships in the 19th century were like the first kind of global multicultural workplaces, yeah. because like you say, they were traveling, especially whaling ships were traveling all over the world, like to India and, and you know, uh, Indonesia and, you know, uh, the South Pacific and the North Pacific and Alaska and, and South America. And so everywhere they'd go, they'd pick up people along the way. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, I, I was mentioning, you know, those songs like in, when they're in their cruise quarters, all singing for just for fun. Like one of the things they did was that every group would kind of sing their national song. Okay. And it would just be a way of like, okay, well here, you know, I'm Portuguese, I'm gonna sing my song and I'm from Hawaii, we're gonna sing our song. And, you know, and then everyone just kind of gets to hear everyone's song and it kind of helps you to get to know the crew and, yeah. and creates a kind of um, uh, bonding through music that, that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and the other thing I was gonna say about that too is, um, so one of the things I, I wrote about in my book is a, is a sea shanty called John Kanaka, right? And so if you're from Hawaii- Yeah, I was like, uh, what? <laughs> you know that the word Kanaka means like person or human being. Um, and so John Kanaka is a, is a shanty, um, a, a halyard shanty, and it has a chorus, uh, the, the kind of the refrain that everyone joins in on goes, um, John Kanakatulaye, right? So, so no one had ever tried to like translate what tulaye means in Hawaii, uh -huh. right? And, and so the T and the K are are transferable in 19th century Hawaiian. Uh -huh. So if you so if you translate it as John Kanakanaka, kulaye, or laie, what it means is. John Kanaka, basically like Hawaiian sailor. And then Tulaye means, or Kulaye means stand your ground. Okay. Oh. And so, and actually it turns out stand your ground shows up in a lot of other shanties because when you're hauling on a rope on the, on the ship, uh -huh. you didn't want to move your feet, right? So okay. if you move your feet, you're going to end up stepping on someone else's feet. It's going to all, everyone's going to trip over each other. Yeah. So it was really important when you're hauling on a line that your feet remain firmly in place on deck. So if you were a brand new Hawaiian sailor, just learning how things go on a American sailing ship, yeah. having a song in Hawaiian that would tell you, remind you, Hawaiian sailors stand your ground. Like that's like, it's, it's meant to be instructive. It's meant to like tell you how the work is meant to happen. Um, wow. so, oh, wow. so that that's also part of it is like being able to use the music the song to kind of communicate to the crew musically you know and maybe without having to like you know kind of instruct them you know uh individually or whatever um, yeah oh that's so that's so interesting I, I was also just thinking you're saying that everyone's sharing their songs and i'm like oh a lot of people weren't speaking the same language but they would kind of learn the same work song which yeah. rhythmically you could do, even if you didn't understand all the words, you could exactly. figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, I think any sailor has to learn 
sailor terminology, you know, and 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 so there was a sort of a common language. Mm. Um, you know, when I was in college, um, this was many years ago now, um, I spent a summer in Norway and I sailed on a Norwegian square rig sailing ship. Um, and I had to learn all the names, and I already knew all the names of all the lines in English and the sails and everything, because I had worked at a museum in Connecticut and uh, as a teenager. So I knew all the lines in English, but then I had to relearn the whole rigging in Norwegian so that if someone shouted out a command, I would know like what line to, to haul on. Um, wow. So, you know, I can imagine that that was something that was you know, sort of the first thing that new sailors needed to learn yeah. if they came on a ship, even if they didn't speak the language, you'd have to learn those lines, you know, the, you, all the names of everything in the rigging yeah. um, in whatever was the prevailing language of the ship. Wow. Okay. So, so that sounds like there's like a language history in these songs. Is there also like an oral history of sailing or of the places they went or of like sailing culture? Sure, sure. Okay. There, there's definitely an oral history. Um, you know, in a lot of the, the <clears throat> a lot of the technology of the sailing ships was conveyed orally. Like there were no, like you, if, when you came on as a crew member, a green hand on a ship, you know, or even if you were, you know, or yeah, whatever, if you were green, if you're a brand new sailor, there was no manual that they would hand you and say like, read this and you'll, you know, you'll understand how to operate the ship. No, it was all oral. It was all like, just learn by someone's telling you, okay, pull that line. That line's called this, pull on that. And when we tell you to, you know, do this. And, and it would just be all, you know, completely oral okay. um, in terms of how you taught people to run the ship in terms of how we understand the history of it, like, and, and, and how we research the history. Mm -hmm. A lot of what I depended on in my research was um, was logbooks and journals, diaries that were kept by sailors, which tended to be mostly kept by captains. But you know, and but there's a difference between a logbook, which is the, what the captain writes in every day to tell you like where their location was, what the weather was like, you know, how many whales they caught, or whatever it was that we the wind changed it, you know at 3 p.m. and we changed the sales or whatever, you know, logbooks tend to be kind of dry data like that. But other sailors kept journals of their travels that have a lot of information about like, you know, the ports where they landed and, you know, oh, well, we landed in, it was the 4th of July and we were in Sumatra. And so we like got out our accordions and played American patriotic music and, and the Indonesians didn't know what to make of it and, you know, things like that. Um, and even things like, you know, uh, oh, we had a show today. We did, we put on a show for the crew and the, the captain's wife organized us and she made uniforms for the crew and, <laughs> and, uh, and we played our, our band and here's the program. And they like list all the songs that they sang. Oh, wow. You have a set list. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. They would write up their set list. Yeah. Um, and then there were other types of books that sailors kept called copy books, where they would write down songs that they heard, or they'd write down like, you know, um, like a speech, like, a, you know, an Abraham Lincoln speech, and they would like transcribe it in their, in their copy book. Wow. So they'd have things to read or to like, you know, um, 
you know, to share with other sailors. Um, so yeah, there were all kinds of fascinating writings that sailors kept. So instead of like sending your friend a TikTok, you'd be like, hold on, I wrote something down in my copy book and I'm going to like share this song and teach it to you or this yeah. poem or something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I picked up this song when I was yeah. on, on this ship, like, you know, two years ago, yeah. I've got it in my copy book and, yeah. uh, you know, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's try it right yeah. here. Open the book. And, um, and that's, you know, one, there was one copy book I looked at that actually had on its very first page, a mm-hmm. song entirely in Hawaiian, um, called, uh, that one was No Keano Ahi Ahi. Oh yeah. Which is a beautiful song. It's yeah. Still it's yeah. beautiful. I think, yeah. I think my friend danced a hula to that in our, okay. yeah, I, 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 the, everyone listens, I think knows that I grew up in Hawaii, but that's also why it was like, this is the expert to talk to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wait, let's talk a little bit about your, you've mentioned a couple of times, but just can, right. can you give us a little like uh, overview of what your book is about? Yeah. So um, my book is called Hawaiian Music in Motion. And it's really, it's, it's a look at, at how Hawaiian music kind of transformed over the course of the 19th yeah. century. Um, and, but more so it's about how Hawaiians interacted musically with the culture of sailors from America and, and elsewhere. Um, and so I was really interested in finding, you know, I started out thinking, okay, well, like there's this sea shanty that has Hawaiian lyrics in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll find some other sea shanties that have Hawaiian lyrics in it, mm-hmm. or maybe I'll find some other Hawaiian songs that are kind of based on sea shanties. Mm-hmm. But I, what I ended up finding was so much deeper than that. It was just that sailors and Hawaiians were mixing, mixing it up from day one of, you know, the, the arrival of Captain Cook in Hawaii. Uh-huh. Um, and there was, you know, Hawaiians sailing on American ships, Americans setting up, you know, their lives in Hawaii, like jumping ship and becoming beachcombers or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like the, for example, the first hotel in Waikiki was run by a black sailor from America named Anthony Allen, I believe, if I remember correctly. And he, you know, he was a cook. And he had a farm and he had horses that he would rent out to sailors so they could ride around um, Hawaii and uh, ride around Oahu. And, and uh, you know, and so this is like the beginning of the tourist industry. Uh-huh. It was all geared towards sailors. Wow. Okay. Right? Um, and like Nuuanu Avenue in Honolulu um, was like the sailor street back in the day. Uh, it was the sailors called it Fid Street, and a Fid is like a long conical woodwork, uh, like rope working tool, okay. like a wooden spike. Yeah, um, and so you can probably guess what the sort of <laughs> I'm guessing there was a like brothels or like, sort of in, in like yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> um, so, but it was, but it wasn't just brothels. It was like music halls, uh, bowling alleys. Sailors yeah. love for whatever reason they love bowling. Um, and yeah, and just like, uh, these kind of outdoor, um, sort of plazas where, uh, Hawaiians and sailors would gather to, to make music together. Um, and then, yeah. And so then I also looked at, um, Hawaiians who traveled on American ships and came back to America and performed in North America. Uh Um, and so the earliest, uh, 
and now I'm, I'm forgetting all the exact dates, but I, the, one of the earliest ones was uh, two Hawaiian girls who sailed with the Vancouver expedition and ended up performing for the governor of California um, in like, I wanna say like 1792. I'd have to maybe look it up in my own book to remember the exact year that was, but it was you know late 1700s, these two Hawaiian um, young women uh, performing um, in California. Wow. And another one with a, Hawaii, a young Hawaiian man or actually several young Hawaiian men performing in New York and Boston on a stage um, in 1802. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, uh, and, and they were performing in a play, a pantomime that was called The Death of Captain Cook. <laughs> and in the advertisements, it even said like, this young man uh, is from the island where the death of Captain Cook occurred. And uh, he happens to know some of the people who were involved in the incident, you know? And uh, so he brings this great authenticity, right? To, uh, to our show tonight. Um, he knows so, somebody who knows somebody who was there. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, so anyway, yeah. So I, I found it really, really fascinating to, you know, cause a lot of people had never, you know had never thought that Hawaiians even came to the mainland mm -hmm. that early. Um, and of course, but of course they did. They were, there were Hawaiians in California, there were Hawaiians in Oregon and in, in the Pacific Northwest, very, very early. Um, I think a lot of people forget that like the Hawaiians and like Polynesia is a voyaging culture. So it makes sense that, that they would feel fine about getting on a boat <laughs> and going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're like, Hey, this boat looks pretty good. Yeah. Let's, let's see where it will take me. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. They, they, they saw this, this boat technology come to them and they're like, yeah, well, I'd like to explore the yeah. world a little more. And, and so they'd, they'd sign on and there were, there were actual like laws that passed about hiring Hawaiian seamen. Oh. Um, because the, the main thing was that they wanted the Hawaiians to come back. Right. Oh, they, okay. You know, they, they yeah. kind of needed a guarantee or like, so they, it was like, they would put down a deposit. The captain would kind of pay a deposit, um. you know, sort of on these Hawaiian sailors with a guarantee. Okay. We will return these sailors back to Hawaii. Um, but a lot of Hawaiian sailors ended up not returning. Mm. Um, and, you know, one thing I found that I thought was really interesting was that a lot of Hawaiian sailors ended up, um, ended up in China, like mm. in Canton, mm -hmm. uh, which is now known as Guangzhou. But uh, like that was a major port. And many of the ships coming from America, stopping in Hawaii, were ending up going to China mm. You know, um, and so these Hawaiians would sign on, they'd end up in a city like Canton and be like, oh, look, there's other Hawaiians here. I'm going to see, see what life brings me here in Canton. And oh, wow. I think that's probably a story that has not really been investigated. Yeah, it? that's really interesting. I've heard a lot of different stories about the Hawaiian diaspora, but I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and similarly, Alaska, too. Like mm -hmm. a lot of Hawaiians ended up going to Alaska. I probably untold numbers of Hawaiians ended up staying there. Although maybe not as many as stayed in China because they were like, well, I don't know about all this snow stuff. I was going to say, that's like, it's a little colder. <laughs> yeah. You know, they bring back stories to Hawaii about the cold yeah. and the, yeah. 
people who didn't even believe, you know, like, yeah. oh, it's like water that is uh, solid. Uh, well, because there's snow in Hawaii, but only on the big island. I, yeah. I guess maybe every once in a while on, on Maui. Um, but like the cold is definitely not a thing that people yeah. are used to. Yeah. But the Hoyans did very much influence the Alaskan, like the, the native people of the, the Aleutian Islands and the, mm-hmm. uh, the Inuit people. Like, and there is even, I, I, I have a friend who, uh, was doing his research on, um, you know, Alaskan indigenous uh-huh. music uh-huh. Um, in the 19th century. And he found that there's a, a dance done up in Alaska called the hula. Uh, and, and it's basically like a version of the hula, but it's done by, by the, you know, Aleut and Inuit uh, people. Oh, wow. They learned it from the Hawaiian sailors who came up there. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I I'm so interested to hear everything that you're saying about um, the confluence of cultures and societies through the sharing of music. Is like, I mean, I can see why you would choose that as a field. <laughs> like, it's yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. And you know, just not that really people are that interested in like what what my field is about, but like. A lot of people who study music history, you know, or uh, or even ethnomusicology tend to study like cultures in isolation. Mm. Like it's like, oh, I'm going to go and study like Balinese culture, you know, mm. and I'm going to go and study Brazilian culture, you know, and it's like as if those things are kind of within some boundary. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to study maritime culture, because it's the fluid that connects all the cultures, right? And so when my advisor was like, well, so which culture are you going to study? And I was like, all of them. (laughs) The whole, like, just how they all interact with each other. That's what's interesting to me. Yeah. (laughs) And I think there's more and more people who who are doing that kind of research, like studying culture contact and cultural mobility as a, as a way of thinking about how things happen. I, I, that's really interesting. And I have learned more about people don't understand that like American music is so influenced by um, maritime culture and by sailing and how many different influences, like that. I think the banjo is related to like West African instruments is something that I've heard. Um, So that's, it's really cool to know that whatever song you're listening to probably is tied back to like some guy on a boat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of my sort of big like points that I always try to make. um, And when I teach classes in American music history or whatever, or any kind of global music history, if you look at port cities, Mm -hmm. right. And the musical culture in port cities, and it could, it doesn't necessarily have to be ocean ports, but like, Mississippi River ports, mm-hmm. you know, they they all were like multicultural and their their, their music scenes developed very like, um, you know, in, in a very kind of complex and multifaceted way. Yeah. So if you, you know, think about the music in San Francisco or Honolulu or New Orleans or Liverpool, for example, and you think about all the influences that come into those cities and then they end up, and then people are like, well, how did Liverpool end up having such like a dynamic music scene? It's like, well, it's it's not surprising because there were yeah. people coming from all over the world passing through Liverpool. And so like people who grew up there ended up like hearing all kinds of music 
um, that other people didn't get to hear, you know? Yeah. Um, Yes. That's so interesting. Um, Okay. So when people think of sailors, they think of songs, but I'm going to switch gears. They also think of mermaids. Is there anything mermaid that you can share with us? (laughs) So, yeah, I, you know, I honestly, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about mermaids myself. Um, You know, and people often ask me about like, supernatural uh, kind of content in sea songs and sailors were very superstitious you know there were all kinds of of bad omens or things that you're not supposed to do and still even today like you go on a a, you know a a boat and if you start whistling people be like no no whistling right because you whistle for a wind, right? And so if you whistle, you're gonna call up more wind than you. Uh, okay. That's uh, interesting because there's a I'm a performer and there's a stage tradition where you don't whistle in a theater because the rigging was often run by sailors and they would like drop things or know that as a cue. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think yeah. it's probably related. Yeah, uh-huh. the, the whole sailor rigging, uh, working the rigging. Yeah, and that, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think that's really a fascinating um kind of connection there with theatrical history but yeah i think it was probably because they just they just had a a superstition about whistling bringing some sort of bad luck um another one that i i learned uh when i was working on on a a a ship with a danish captain that um he would not allow you to talk about pigs or rabbits on on the boat okay Uh, and I'm not, I never really learned why, like what would happen if I said the word rabbit. And of course, once you're told, like, don't mention rabbits or pigs, yeah. then you're like, oh my God, I'm, I, I, I want all you want, all you want to say, <laughs> all I can think about. Um, so yeah, yeah. So there's, there are, were a lot of superstitions like that. And I'm, I'm thinking that maybe for that reason, there's not a whole lot of songs that that bring up the superstition ah. because like they didn't want to court the possibility okay. of even yeah. just thinking about this would yeah. cause some bad luck to happen. Um, I do know one, uh, I know I have one shanty that I, I sing that has to do with a ghost. Um, but other than that, I, there's not a whole lot of supernatural content. Now that being said, uh-huh. there is a very venerable and beloved sailor song about a mermaid okay it's not really so much about the mermaid but she she makes a very prominent appearance at the beginning of this of the song okay and then the rest of the song is about the the uh, inevitable doom that is going to uh, <laughs> oh, no. eat the ship uh, <laughs> uh, that, that, I was wondering about that because when I've talked to folklorists or um, anybody who studies classic literature the prevailing thing is like oh yes we have sightings of mermaids from captain's logs or something and maybe it was a manatee maybe or not maybe it was a mermaid uh, maybe it was just like lonely men thinking about women staring at the ocean um and so i have this vision of like sailors perpetuating the idea of mermaids so but that's something that you're like but you can't talk about it because they might be bad luck (laughs) but you could maybe have a tattoo of it right but yes there is this famous song about the mermaid um and one of the things about it 
um, that does also relate to sailors' superstitions is that there was a superstition about not um, leaving on a voyage on a Friday. Right? <gasps> okay. And and sailors still follow this. Um, uh, like you you can't you cannot set off on a voyage on a Friday. And there's one kind of famous example of a ship that was called the HMS Friday that they that they like laid the keel on a Friday, they launched the ship on a Friday, they started their maiden voyage on a Friday, just to kind of prove that this superstition was, was, was you know, bull. And, uh, and of course it sank on its maiden voyage. I knew it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I knew it. Okay. Um, yeah. But, but so that figures into the, to the mermaid song because the very first line has to do with it was Friday morning when we set sail. And, and so, you know, right from the first line, it's going to be trouble. There's going to be, it's going to be a disaster coming, you know? So. Anyway, okay. But, and so I'm, I'm happy to try and sing it for you. I'm not I sure would love that. A version I'll be able to do for you, but. Um, uh, I would love that. I to sing it acapella. Okay. Um, Cause I haven't, I haven't had a chance to rehearse. That's okay. Um, That's fine with me. I'd be thrilled. Everybody get excited. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So should I, should I move into my. Yeah. Um, my why don't you. Yeah. Why don't we, I'll probably pause here. Why don't you just, before you go, why don't you just tell people where they can find your book and the name of your book? So um, it's called Hawaiian Music in Motion, Mariners, Missionaries, and Minstrels. Uh, and it is published by the University of Illinois Press. Uh, so you can get it from uh, University of Illinois Press. It is available in an ebook edition, and it's also available on Amazon. Awesome. Um, so yeah. Okay, great. I'll make sure to put a link to that in the um, show notes so that people can get it. Um, and then we'll take a small break, and you'll set up. Yes. Okay. Hi, I'm Zoe, and I'm Kelsey. And we're the hosts of Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. And if you're like most people, you may have just discovered the amazing world of Regency Romance through the smash hit Bridgerton on Netflix. And whether you're a new fan just diving into the Regency genre, or if you've loved Regency for a long time, we've got a huge catalog of episodes exploring the best of what Regency has to offer. So join us each week as we take a trip across the pond and into the past in search of swoon-worthy happily ever afters. We talk about all the Regency favorites like Julia Quinn's Bridgertons or Lisa Kleypas's Ravenels. Plus, we dive deep into exciting new releases from rising stars you're going to love. Plus, we have fabulous interviews with best-selling authors in the genre like Kerrigan Byrne, Maya Rodale, and Kat Sebastian. And of course, we are covering the Bridgerton Netflix show. We're speaking to bloggers, costumers, and authors to really talk about seeing this best-selling series brought to life. And if the show has given you a hankering for more Julia Quinn, we have a full episode recapping and discussing each book of the series. So check us out on your podcatcher of choice or learn more about us at romancepod.com. See you on Thursdays and may all your ever afters end happily. The other, I was just going to say by way of introduction, this song is... Um, part of the famous child ballad collection. Um, some, some of you may have heard of the child ballads. Francis Child collected 305 ballads that he said were important documents of English and Scottish 
popular balladry. Um, and he found examples of this ballad going back to the 1700s, but it was seemingly most popular in the 1800s. Um, and it is Child Ballad 289 uh, in his collection. And uh, it was pr probably the most frequently um, covered version of this is by the Clancy Brothers, the Irish group. So let me see if I can say this. It was Friday morning when we set sail and we were not far from the land. When our captain espied a mermaid so fair with a comb and a glass in her hand. And the ocean waves do roll and the stormy winds they blow. And we poor scale, and we poor sailors go skipping up the tops while the landlubbers lie down below, below, below. How the landlubbers lie down below. And up spoke the captain of our gallant ship, and a brave old skipper was he. He said, this fishy mermaid has warned me of our doom. We will sink to the bottom of the sea. And the ocean waves do roll. And the stormy winds, they blow. And we poor sailors go skipping up the tops while the landlubbers lie down below, below, below. While the landlubbers lie down below. Then up spoke the first mate of our gallant ship, and a well-spoken man was he. He said, I have a wife in Gloucester by the sea, and tonight a widow she will be. And the ocean waves they roll, and the stormy winds do blow. And we poor sailors go skipping up the tops while the landlubbers lie down below, below, below. How the landlubbers lie down below. Then up spoke the cook of our gallant ship, and a saucy old butcher was he. He said, I care much more for my pots and my pans than I do for the bottom of the sea. And the ocean waves do roll, and the stormy winds do blow. And we poor sailors go skipping up the tops while the landlubbers lie down below, below, below. While the landlubbers lie down below. Then up spoke the cabin boy of our gallant ship, and a poor little boy was he. I care much more for my mom and my dad than I do for the bottom of the sea. And the ocean waves, they roll, and the stormy winds, they blow. And we poor sailors go skipping up the top while the land lovers lie down below, 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 while the land lovers lie down below. Then three times around spun our gallant ship, and three times around spun she. Three times around spun our gallant ship, and we sank to the bottom of the sea. And the ocean waves do roll, and the stormy winds do blow. And we
three poor sailors go skipping up the tops while the land lovers lie down below, 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 while the land lovers lie down below, 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 and the land lovers lie down below. Below, below? <laughs> Yay! I joined in for one second. <laughs> Great. That was amazing. <laughs> Um, wait, the land lovers, I, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. And now I, of course I have more questions. Um, the yeah. land lovers lie down below, like below. Like, I guess below decks. Below right? decks. Okay. I think is what is meant. Okay. Uh, you know, they, it, it, this might've been referencing a lot of times a cargo ship would also carry passengers gotcha. you know, okay. um, yeah. before there were passenger liners. Um, yeah. So like there'd be cabins on some of the, like some of the clipper ships and things okay. like that. Um, this song predates the clipper ships, but there still would have been, you know, sometimes land lovers or passengers on a, on a sailing ship. Okay. Uh, and the, and when they talk about skipping up the tops, mm -hmm. the top was the, if you look at the mast of an old sailing ship, there's like usually a platform about halfway up. And so the, the sailors climb up the shrouds and then to get up and over the platform, they have to climb up these shrouds that kind of lean backwards. And so you have to go up and over the tops. And that was like the kind of the tricky maneuver that oh, you know, okay. was something that a land lover would not no. want to do. It would because no. you know, you're little, really like leaning back as you're climbing up and over. Yeah. So, um, but you had to get up and over that to get up into the sails and up into the rigging. Okay. Okay. That's, I mean, that mermaid definitely was a sign of doom. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of the thing with mermaids as yeah. much as they're beautiful and, uh, you know, and alluring, uh, they, they are harbingers of doom. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's okay. I mean, it's okay. Mermaids can take it. <laughs> like, they have a lot of rumors about them. They're fine. <laughs> They're do They've been doing all right so far. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't stopped them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, that was magnificent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm, I'm glad to introduce you to that song because I, you know, as a, as a mermaid person, yeah. you, you do need to know that song. Oh, tell us the title of it one more time. Just called the mermaid. That's it. The mermaid. Okay. It's the mermaid, and it's uh, it's sometimes called the stormy winds do blow. Okay. Um, and actually, the 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 group, the Carter family, mm -hmm. uh, recorded a version of it back in the tw in the twenties or early thirties. Oh. Okay. Um, and they called it um, the waves on the sea. Okay. The waves on the sea do blow, but they're in their version. They don't mention the mermaid at all. They just the, talk about the ship sinking. That version is dead to me. Then I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, why is the ship sinking? Yeah, there, there's some reason for the ship to be sinking, and they they leave out the part about the mermaid. So, um, but yes, it, it is known by several other names, but the the most common name is just the mermaid, and it's child ballad two eighty nine. That was awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and telling that. I will put a link to your book in our show notes yeah. and yeah. anything I find out about that song. Um, this was a wonderful day for the podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so yeah. glad I could, I could contribute. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me.
Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend or leave a review. Reviews are really important because they help other mermaid lovers find us. The easiest way to leave a review is right in the app that you are using to listen to this episode or leave a review on our Facebook page. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, the best thing to do is sign up for our email list. We only send you emails that you like about new episodes and you will get exclusive behind the scenes content that you won't see anywhere else. Join the email list by dropping your email address into the sign up form, which you can find in any of the episode show notes at mermaidpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Mermaid Podcast, and we always love to see you on social media. Again, we'll have links to all of the mermaid news mentioned in this episode on our website, mermaidpodcast.com. Our jingle was recorded by Tori Scott, the world-famous cabaret singer. You can find Tori at itstoriescott.com, and the Mermaid Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts that you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thank you for listening and remember, don't quit your daydream. It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast.